Good morning, good day, and good evening. Welcome to episode... I'm not... I, I, honestly, I'm not counting anymore. It's 170... I'm gonna guess... 7. Yeah, that sounds close enough. It's in the 170s of Tech of a T. I'm as always your host, Brody Robertson, and today we have a fellow Linux YouTuber on. Welcome to the show, Vashnader. How you doing? Doing pretty good. It's Friday, so I'm really glad for that and just ready for the weekend and then, you know, holiday weekend too here in the US, so. Oh I'll yeah, because 4th of July is coming up soon, isn't it? Yes. Oh. Because yeah, you're, what, so it's, it's still June for you. Yeah, it's the... Yeah, yes, yeah, it yeah, is yeah. June thirtieth for me. Mm -mm. So, how's your week been? What have you been getting up to? Ah, uh, mostly work. I've been, uh, you know, dealing with some, looking at some YouTube stuff, and kind of diving into game development a bit more. But yeah, mostly work, and then you know, trying to find time to keep the YouTube machine running. Mm -hmm. I did see that you were on on Twitter. You've been like tweeting about you know doing hundred days of code. Then you had the video mm -hmm. about two weeks ago of you making a game for a Linux game jam, like. What's your experience with programming? Are you just like getting into it now? Or you just like have you had experience before or? Yeah, so uh, I in my undergraduate days, I did uh, I did a bachelor's in psychology and then got okay. a second bachelor's in information systems. And I dealt with some C plus plus and some C sharp and things like that at the point that point, but they weren't exactly concerned with teaching you a lot about object oriented programming in the information systems path. It was right. more about you know, being ready to work in a I kind of like IT and a business and things like that. It was more general stuff. So I didn't really learn a lot about object-oriented programming and things like that. So mm. uh, more recently in the past, uh, I think this really started in late 2019. Like I really began seriously looking back at Python because that's the language I had played around with a little bit and had more success with. And mm. I started using that more and more and more in early 2020. I really just started doing more with it, trying to actually solve problems even for my day job at the time. Mm -hmm. So it was something where I ended up digging a lot more into programming and getting to understand a lot more about how it works. And so this is just me kind of trying to broaden my horizons. Uh, web development was kind of what I started with for 100 Days of Code, and I wanted to learn a bit more about that. And then I just I did game development one night and you know, six days later, it was like, oh, Linux Game Jam's on. Hmm, maybe I'll do that next year. And I'm like, no, let's just do it this year. <laughs> and so, you know, 15 minutes later, I had talked myself into doing it. And, you know, now I'm just kind of trying to dig further into that. But I, I just notice now when I like watch a tutorial or whatever, I actually understand what's going on conceptually. Like I can figure out, hey, this is how I might be able to apply this to something that I want to do. Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to before, like if I tried to watch a tutorial, like I'd be like, oh, okay, that's cool. Oh, yep. wait, now what do I do now? So. Yeah. Right. It, I, I think a lot of people kind of skip that early fundamental stage of like learning the concept. As much as I, as much as I really didn't like some of my courses I did at uni, Mm -hmm. Some of the courses on like data structures and how how like trees work, how stacks work, all of that stuff. It's it's boring. It's really boring stuff. Yes. But it does help conceptually understand more complex problems where maybe, you know, you would approach a problem when you first start out in one way. But you realize as you learn these further concepts hey, this other concept I already know, maybe this actually applies in a slightly better way. Maybe, you know, it might not be the most efficient way to do it, but it might flow a bit better. It might make more sense 
Like, the, the logic going through that puzzle might make a lot more sense than the way you're originally trying to approach it. Absolutely. And that's that's what I kind of really started using Python for when I started, you know, messing with some of those projects. Because the first, the first kind of thing I took on was something where it, this process would only take about 10 to 15 minutes to do, but it was something where I had to stop and, you know, physically interact and do everything. But I got it to run in like 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. I had to solve like loading a uh, Excel file into a database. I use pandas for that and all that. And, you know, just several other things that I had to kind of solve. And then eventually I ended up, I think I ended up adding a GUI to that just to be more user-friendly for to other people in the area that might start using it. But yeah, I mean, ultimately that's, that is what ended up teaching me the most. And I think like I made a video about get out of tutorial hell for programming. And like, that's what I said is like, build a project and then iterate on it. Yep. Iterate, iterate, iterate. So, yeah, building a project uh, was... is it was definitely big. Like when I was, I I would learn a lot of these concepts. But one of the things that really did help me along the way was I would go out of my way while I was studying to do other things. Um, a lot of the time they were just like throwaway projects. It wasn't like it wasn't something really really important where I was gonna like you know distribute it as like a program that other people would use. But no matter what it is, really, like whether it's programming or any other skill, really. The only yes. way you're actually going to ingrain that skill is to apply it and try to try to morph it slightly. Don't just apply it exactly as you see it. Like, say for example, um, I, anyone who's learned Blender has probably done a donut tutorial. Don't just follow the tutorial to the letter. Actually, go and mess around with the tools. Like, if if you see a thing that like extrudes a bit of the model, try it out in different ways. See what happens if you try to break it and. If you do that, you're going to learn a lot more than just following exactly one-to-one -one what you're being told. Absolutely. And uh, a donut in Blender is on my list of things eventually to get to. <laughs> yeah. But um, but yes, I mean, and that's, I've been drawing a lot of parallels with learning game development to, you know, other things that I've learned. Because, mm -hmm. you know, that's, I tend to be a person that has to learn a lot for my day job. I'm a business analyst. So I'm just dealing with a lot of different problems that people may have with software. And the fortunate thing for me is I'm fairly intuitive and mm -hmm. I understood at least the basics of like, you know, what a loop does and right. conditions and all that stuff. So that really helped me kind of at least intuitively kind of leap to what the answer would be. Maybe I wasn't necessarily always 100% right, mm -hmm. but I could at least get in the ballpark. Yeah. And that's really something that helps a lot in constantly solving those problems for the day job is something that really kind of helped push uh, kind of the IT skills further on too. Yeah, there's nothing worse than someone who has absolutely no idea about programming trying to talk to the programmers as oh. if they know. It's like, oh, yes. doing this is easy, isn't it? No. Go away. Yes. Do, you want to Do you want to pay us for the next year? Do you want to double my pay? No, I'm not doing that. Well, and... And that was, uh, we had a famous saying back in uh, one of my previous employers, like something like we could make it sing happy birthday if you want it to, but it, you know, with enough time and money. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those deals where if you aren't at least somewhat knowledgeable there, it is really difficult to conceptualize that. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't, like, you don't necessarily need to be up on the latest tech stack. Like, you know, following web development, for example, as you were saying before, like web development, I was super into at one point. And then it's like, you know, every couple of months, 
the tech stack entirely changes. Like the, yes. uh, the problem with the web development space is it's a lot of it's run. A lot of like the changes are run by these startups and the startups, you know, they don't have all of this technical baggage. So they're willing to try out anything. And when that happens, things get very crazy very quickly. Like, I remember when like, you know, who would run react. I don't even know what the, the, what is, what is the framework people like nowadays? I know there was a period where jQuery came back for a bit and, I, I I don't know. I, I still find it funny when I hear references to jQuery because I do vaguely remember like people were starting to say don't use jQuery even I want to say like five or six years ago even and uh, but now yeah it's weird seeing that again in uh, in 2023 but um, but yeah I think it's React I, I I honestly don't know I haven't been able to keep up um, <laughs> I've been fo- I've been focused more on the HTML and CSS side of things and really kind of trying to dial in some of that design stuff because that's the part where I tend to struggle. I'm so technical. Mm-hmm. It's more of a struggle to, for me to focus on like, oh, okay, these colors look good together. Oh, this needs to be bigger. Oh, this yeah. needs to be smaller, whatever. Yeah, anyone who's seen my website knows that I design is not my my forte. I just have something that works and that, oh my God, yes. I've not said this site in so long. Jeez, I need to do that. Uh, yeah, I, I just have something that works, and then that's it. Like, I've I've said this a bunch of times, but when you have the option of not having a programmer being the designer, that's always going to be a good thing. Like, Absolutely. there are some... I, I know there are some programmers out there who are great at design as well, but as a general rule, if someone is very specialized in programming design work's not going to be good for them. So it's the same in the reverse. Like, someone who's, like, very specialized in design, maybe they have some level of programming experience, but mm-hmm. if you put them onto a really complex problem, you might get something like Yandere Simulator, where you have 10,000 if statements for something that could have been, you know, a uh, <laughs> a very simple list. Yes. And, uh, and it's just, yeah, it is very different. Um, it is something we're also... At that point, when I think back to, you know, business analysts and all that stuff, like you come back to the programmer is the one defining the requirements for the design. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of don't have a separation of duties at that point anyway. What what do you mean by that? So it's a separation of duties is like, uh, so in general, if I, just for example, so if I work and I find requirements at work, it's a little weird for me to be the primary tester for those requirements because mm-hmm. I wrote the requirements. I can say whatever passes the test, right? Right. Ideally, somebody else is going to be the primary tester for that because they're going to be the ones that are actually going to be able to say, hey, this meets our business needs. Right. While I'm just, you know, I'm just the business analyst who is trying to help them get to that point. Right, right. Yeah, that's the value of third party QA. Right, I see. Yeah, and so I I think a developer and designer being the same person is similar thing. You know, the design the developer can say, "Oh yeah, it looks exactly like I thought it should look." Well, yeah, the problem with the developer being the designer is you also have the developer is very they're very knowledgeable about the project, so there's going to be design decisions they've made that make total sense to them, but the second mm-hmm. that someone else sees it, it makes 
ab it, it, it's absolute nonsense. Like, why is this button in this place? Why is there no button for this? Why is this button in this menu instead of this menu? All of these little things are things where if you're making a project yourself, you are going to get used to them. You're going to get used to the weird... The weirdness about your own design. And for something you're making yes. just for your own use case, like my um, my bookmark script, for example. I don't have bookmarks in my browser. I have bookmarks in a separate application, and they open up my browser and like open the tab in the browser. Mm -hmm. For me, this project makes perfect sense. But there are some really stupid things I've added to the project that <laughs> other people have been like, hey, can you fix this? Like, if you want to fix it, like, submit a board if you want to. But... As it stands, like it does what I need it to do, and that's it. But when you are dealing with a customer, a client, whatever you want to call it, yeah, like actually having someone else there to at least sanity check what you're doing is going to be yes. incredibly valuable. Yes, and that's that's something that I unfortunately feel like the open source world misses at times. Mm -hmm. And I hate it because there are times where like I'll find something and I just start trying to mess with it, and I'm just like... I don't know that this is really workable for me. And if it's not workable for me, who I'm a very, I'm a very function over form person. Mm -hmm. And if it's not workable for me, like, I don't know, you know, I don't know. I think it's a tough sell. Um, for a long time, Audacity, Audacity has finally done something where they actually have the audio menu where I can actually see it properly. For a long time, their little audio drop-down boxes were screwed up, at least when you had this uh, screen zoomed in. Mm -hmm. But they finally... I don't. I have no idea when they actually changed it. It's been somewhat recently, though. But... Well, yeah, Audacity was purchased by Muse a while back, and there was that whole drum when that happened. Um, yeah. But, hey, look, if, if at the end of the day, if the project ends up being better... For the user, that's ultimately what matters. Like, I know a lot of people are very... Maybe this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but I know a lot of people are very... How do you say? Set on exactly the way they want the FOSS world to operate. And that's yes. great, because it's it acts as a counterbalance to companies like Oracle doing Oracle things. But at the end of the day, for the user, for the person who just wants something that works... Those mm -hmm. people are never going to be invested into that into that ecosystem, into that that mindset where it needs to be exactly under this license, it needs to work exactly this way. They just want to go about their day and, you know, do whatever work they need to do. Like with with Ubuntu, for example, a lot of people get very angry about snaps and very angry about this and very angry about that. But mm -hmm. if you're the kind of person who is just you're a game dev who uses Godot. You are a 3D modeler in Blender. If you don't care about the underlying system and all you care about is I need to do this work and I'm going to use this system because, you know, Ubuntu is very easy to install. It takes like five minutes, ten minutes, depending on your internet speed. The longest part is downloading everything. If, mm -hmm. if you're the kind of person who's in that situation, it doesn't really, the, the rest of it just doesn't really matter to you. Absolutely. But that's also kind of my argument that I think more people would actually be okay on Linux mm -hmm. compared to Windows. Mm. Because a lot of people just need a web browser. And that's, that's really all they need. And you have all of this overhead 
an underlying system on Windows that you wouldn't have on Linux. Mm -hmm. um, my parents ran MX Linux for like a year, oh, like wow. year and a half or something like that. And they had, I had to create like stuff on the desktop for them, but that was it. Once mm -hmm. I did that, like they just pretty much ran with it and mm. they were fine. So, you know, I feel like, uh, I feel like that's, that's kind of the thing that I think is important though, is, is your point there because yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of snaps. I get why I, I, I understand why some people like them and some people don't. I understand what Canonical is trying to do personally, just not the best fit for me, but I'm not going to fault anybody that wants to use Ubuntu. Mm. Uh, that's, that's their deal. If that's what that, if that worked for them, that's all that matters. Mm, for sure. I want to dig more into that point you said about installing Linux for your parents. Um, so yeah. What do you think the, the Windows does that gets in the way for, like, the regular average person? Obviously, you know, the way Windows updates uh, works is very much annoying, but it's been a while since I've actively used a Windows system. I haven't even touched Windows 11. Like, last time I used it was 10. I literally touched Windows 11 the, for really the first time when I did a video about installing <laughs> Mint alongside Windows. Right, and that was right. purely because I have a mini PC that I'm about to turn into a Proxmox box, I think. Ah, okay. But, um, but yes. So at the time, they were on Windows 8. Oh. And or 8.1 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And this machine had... I want to say four gigabytes of RAM. It was one of those stupid low-end PCs that stores sell. And unfortunately, people like my parents buy, even yeah. though I try to advise them not to. But yes, that is that is what they had. And so it was like, okay. I mean, they kept complaining about how slow it was. Uh, come to find out, I think the thing had a spinning hard drive at this point. Um, well, yeah, if, I, if it's Windows 8, it would have been during that era where you had the option of a 128 gig SSD or yeah. two terabyte spinning drive. And a lot of people go with the spinning drive because, you know, bigger number equals better. Oh, that that didn't even that didn't even enter the equation for oh, them. But sure. yes, um, okay. yes, uh, you are totally right. That is it is around that time. And it was something where, like, once I installed MX and just flipped over to a to an SSD, like a small one, like that machine was fine. Mm -hmm. It eventually had an issue with the Wi-Fi that was nothing to do with the drivers, it just stopped working. Oh, hardware uh, sometimes breaks. Yeah, yeah, but uh, but yeah, I mean, and they, that's how I ended up getting them on it because ultimately like they were just like, they just needed something that worked and Windows 8 was not working for them at that point. But, mm. you know, I got Solitaire installed on there. <laughs> I, got, I got the browser set up. And add their favorites, and like they they were fine. Mm -hmm. uh, they they could honestly, if they probably could not have told you any difference in it, because I think for a lot of people, the underlying OS really doesn't matter, and that's mm -hmm. that's one of the things that I think people seem to miss when they're trying to talk about like getting people to switch to Linux. Is most people don't even think about that question. Yeah much less anything else. Yeah, I was telling my, my housemate about this the other day. He, there was this thing with, um, apparently some Windows 7 keys can activate Windows 10 or something like that. He's like, well, if, if Microsoft advertised this, then people would just go out and buy Windows 7 keys and just not bother buying like the $90 Windows 10 or Windows 11 key. But most people don't... Most people don't consume computers in that way. Like, 
he's you know he's a gamer he's built a computer before he's like installed operating systems but most people when they get a computer it is the computer it is whatever comes it is a it is an appliance in the same way that like your fridge or your toaster this is an appliance if it breaks it breaks maybe if it's expensive enough you'll send it to like a repair person but besides that Mm -hmm. like you're never going to touch yourself like it's the same way that i am with cars for example i don't know anything about cars if my car breaks i send it to a mechanic they know what they're doing like i I don't think there's anything wrong with this I i think these people just have they have priorities on different things. Their focus is on Absolutely. doing whatever their job is. Their focus is on, you know, just using their computer as a recreation device rather than a... I think that's a good separation. A lot of people in the... Or actually, pretty much everyone in the Linux world uses Linux as a hobby as opposed to using your computer as a recreation device. So it's the operating system itself that's the hobby, not the computer. Yeah, um, for sure. And there is definitely an element of that, I think, for a lot of Linux users. Though mm-hmm. I do occasionally hear from some that, you know, they're really just trying to do basic computing. And oh. they just they just yeah. got sick of Windows for whatever reason, or, you know, their PC no longer runs it well, or whatever else. Well, yeah. no, I definitely know developers who are in that, that camp. Like the people I was saying before, who just install Ubuntu and then just do some work on it. But oh, absolutely. When you're the kind of person who gets involved in discussions about, you know, it, if you are getting in a discussion about GNU Herd, you are already yeah. one of these people that are like very, very invested in this space. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And and those conversations are never, never going to even be on the radar of, you know, most other people. Yeah. And I totally get that. If you care I, about I don't think it- they probably should. If you care about Xorg or Wayland, SystemD or OpenRC, Pipewire or Pulsor, like, you are already very, very invested in this space, and you are not the kind of person that's that we're talking about here. You treat your computer as, you know, as a hobby, as I was saying. It's something you want to pick apart, and you want to you wanna understand, and you want to just get it to be exactly the way you want it to be. Yes, and... and- to some extent, that is a really interesting thing. At other times, it's a very annoying thing. <laughs> yeah, there. Well, yeah. When when Linux is your entire personality, and the way that you run your Linux system is your personality, you know, some of those people can get a little bit annoying for sure. Oh, I more meant just trying to find every little. Th- I've been oh, playing. Oh, sure. Yeah, that as well. Still. Yeah. But I, I mean, just trying to find every little thing that I have to do to make it, you know, right. cooperate sometimes the way I want it. Right. Right. <laughs> but yes. There is that too. So going back to that point about your parents, would you encourage like other people to at least mess around with this? Or do you think it's sort of just a one-off thing in your case? Or what, what, what is your opinion on this? I think it's largely going to depend on, you know, their daily activities on mm-hmm. a computer. I mean, for my parents, like I said, it was really a web browser machine, email mm-hmm. machine, solitaire machine. That was right. it. That's really all they did. They didn't have any special needs for apps. They didn't. They didn't have any of that. So I mean, on something like that, I I think you'd. Pro- I'd I'm really be curious actually on mm-hmm. uh, some of the uh, image based or immutable, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. them, distros that are coming out for stuff like that. Um, you know, I I don't think uh, Ubuntu is quite there yet, but that's one option. Um, Vanilla OS, obviously, but some of those like that, I'd be really curious to see that because to me that is where those types of things are going to also excel. I know they're going to be awesome for 
uh, other other use cases. But that's mm. one option I think people kind of underestimate. Mm, for sure. Yeah, I, they they sort of hide a lot of the complexity and do it, like with um with most of these mutable systems they update in a similar way to Android where you mm-hmm. get the update, you restart the computer, updates just there. Like there's no fiddling with packages or anything like that. It's just updates done. Enjoy. Yeah. And for and for these people in particular, like that is perfect. That is what exactly what they need. Mm-hmm. That's even less intrusive than, you know, the Windows way of doing things. So to me, that's something where I I feel like there are some people out there that are going to be, you know, fine with that. Mm-hmm. But obviously, it's going to be on a case-by-case basis, and you don't want to, you know, just yeah. change somebody's computer. To Linux. No, no. I, I've seen some people that just, like, I installed whatever, MX Linux, Mint, whatever, on someone else's computer. It deleted all the family photos. Like... <laughs> Come on, or just... <sighs> I know that you think that you know what you're doing, but please, if you're going to do that, at least back up the hard drive, install it on a second hard drive and swap the drives over. Just just do something that's not that. Yep, don't in, do that. In, uh, in my case, with my parents, they uh, they don't even have a computer anymore. My mum uh, my just uses an iPad. It's a Facebook mm-hmm. machine, and... Facebook yep. banking and emails, that's pretty much it. Yep. And I mean, you know, and a tablet, a lot. And that's the other thing, too, is, you know, a lot of people are fine with just a tablet. Mm. Uh, I, I'm curious, you know, how long we'll see desktop computers in their current form just because of that. But I still prefer a desktop machine because mm. I need, you know, a capture card or, a, you know, capture card, a decent graphics card, all that kind of stuff. But I do wonder, like, how much longer we're going to see them in this form as opposed to something else. I just don't mm. know what they're going to really go to. No, that I, I've definitely heard people make this argument before. Where I stand on this, like, I, I think there's always going to be a place as long as there is a market for PC gaming. I think that a lot True. of a lot of regular people, and well, I guess gaming is sort of very much in the, the mainstream now, but a lot of people who don't game, they don't really need... A computer like this is why a lot of schools have migrated over to chromebooks like the students there mm-hmm. do not need a like i when i went to school i had a macbook pro like it, it was like five years out of date but when i got it but i had a macbook pro that is way overkill way way overkill for anything that you're going to be doing at a school and because it was overkill we we're playing halo combat evolved um but <laughs> <laughs> you don't need something like that for that system but i think the, the, the two things that are going to keep it going are the professional workspace, like, you know, doing mm-hmm. 3D modeling, doing game development, doing programming, all of that. But yep. even then, a lot of that work can be moved, especially programming. Like, you don't need a powerful local system to, to program, but if you can offload that onto a remote server, then you can do all right. the same work. Like, this is what... Um, this is what Torvalds does when he's dealing with uh, the ARM-based version of Linux kernel. He doesn't have a super powerful ARM machine. He just offloads it to an ARM server. But I don't know. I- I'm curious to see where we go. I know there have been some... I-, I know there's a lot of shift over to laptops, that's for sure. Like Laptops, yes. notebooks, those have massively picked up over the past like five, ten years, especially as people... Especially as there's been more like you know, bring your own device policies with work. A lot of people just have one computer. It is their work and their home computer. There is 
this... And and now with the, like, sort of half... What do, what do you call it? Like, it's half remote work, half homework. Like, you're going back and forth. Oh, sorry, half, half, half office, half remote work. You're just, like, going in yeah. between the office and home. A lot more people, are, like, have notebooks for doing that as well. So, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm super curious, for sure. Yeah, and... Yeah, and I'm luckily enough at one of those places where it's to bring your own device. And <laughs> I've been using a Mac Mini, and it's okay. Mac OS does some really dumb stuff sometimes. But I'm actually in the process of kind of looking to see if I can get a Linux machine okay. to do what I need to do. Because I, I still need a Windows VM in Mac because there are just there's like literally one task that I have to do that Windows is the only place yep. that I can find to actually do it. And... I don't have to do that that often. So I'm really thinking like, okay, what if I can get all this set up on Linux and then maybe I just have vert manager or whatever running a Windows VM in the background if I need it. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, I'm really kind of thinking about that because I think that would be really cool to be able to just not have to deal with Mac's nonsense <laughs> sometimes. What is Mac OS like nowadays? I said I used a, a MacBook Pro in high school, but that was like Snow Leopard. So it's been a while. Uh, I don't really have a comparison point because okay. I, I literally bought one when the Mac minis went down to like 600 bucks or whatever. I bought one at that point. So mm. I, and I probably didn't use it that much for a little bit, but there is one thing, the, the dock at the bottom. Mm. So this is what drives me crazy. If you have two mods, oh, so I, I personally think uh -huh. that the way Mac OS is designed at this point, it's really designed for you to have one monitor or it's designed for you to be working on a laptop. Okay. Because the the dock, if you have two monitors and you put your cursor at the bottom of the screen without the dock, sometimes... Uh, is he gone? Did we lose him? There, okay, now we're back. Um, We all love the internet, so... <laughs> you had a uh, power outage for a moment, so hopefully, hopefully that doesn't happen again. That Hopefully would be not. less than optimal. Um, yeah, let, let, let's just let's just hope. <laughs> yes, I mean you have a billion of these to record. I know, so let's hope. I you may even be able to hear it now. But, yeah, I can definitely uh, do that. It's uh yeah, but it's uh but yeah. So so Mac OS. So yes, the the, Mac the, OS. the quick quickly the thing that I was uh, I was trying to say is. So if you have a, two monitors and you have the dock on one monitor, if you move your cursor to the bottom of the other monitor, sometimes it just decides to snap the dock to your cursor. And then you have to go into settings and snap it back. Wait, so it will like move to the, cur the monitor your cursor is on? Yes. Oh. And I've, I've looked, there's apparently like some way to make this stop, but I don't know what the actual downsides of doing that are. It's, what? Why I just don't understand, understand the, just the user experience decision. Just duplicate the dock. What What are you doing, Apple? Maybe, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe duplicating the dock just doesn't fit like their design principles or something. I don't know. Because that, like, to me, that seems like the most obvious thing to do. Or you know, give the person the option to stop it from. from oh, well, yeah, that's a good option as well. I like that one. But bar that, duplicate yeah. it. Just have it on all the screens. Yeah, I I don't understand. It's one of the most puzzling things. But there's there's just a couple of things like that in Mac OS where I'm it just drives me crazy. Mm -hmm. And so uh, yeah, I'm really really looking at getting to the point where I can um I can actually use Linux for work. And so I'm hoping that that will be something 
in the not too distant future that I can uh, I can see if I can get to work. Mm-hmm. With um, so what are your like daily activities that like wouldn't just wouldn't be a problem with Linux? You said there was like one thing that would be a problem. And you need Windows yeah, version. I have to. There's something where I have to use a plugin specifically that has to be in the Windows oh, version okay. of Microsoft Word, right. and it's like there's, I, I, maybe I could get that to work through Wine, but I mean, most of the stuff is like you know using Office 365 stuff, so I could use all that via the web. Uh, Teams is apparently now on Linux. Uh, I think there's a web app thing. Uh, yep. I think they actually shut down the Debian app and there's actually like a some sort of web app thing that they're installing. Yeah, but... Teams for Linux is no longer available, but Teams the web app is the thing you'd be using. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and there's also Ferdium or whatever, so I could also launch it through that if I needed to. Sure, so, yeah. Yeah, there's, uh, there's options for that. But yeah, I mean, a lot of it's done either on, on a website or mm-hmm. it's done where... I need to act if I need to access something specific that the client has. Oftentimes, I'm signing into a VM anyway mm-hmm. uh, on site, so you know that it's just really easy for me to probably get that to transfer. And I think a lot of the VPN apps out there now work on Linux. Yeah, so, um, most I can't think of any that any notable that don't. Right. Yeah. Uh, there's there's going to be something out there, but. At the end of the day, there'll be like you know a web browser extension for it anyway. If if that's the main thing you need it for, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I like I say, I I really think that the majority of it can be done just in Linux, and I'll be fine, and I won't have to deal with Mac silliness. And um, I can use Thunderbird, I think, for my email and all that, and mm-hmm. just go. Yeah, one of the things I do like about as much as I don't like, I don't know. I, I, let me think what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I do this a lot, where I, I jump into a conversation and then I'm like, I have no idea where I'm actually trying to take it. So I don't like the fact that a lot of developers are shifting everything to being web apps, just because I like Fair. the idea of more performant applications. However, in the context of a lot of developers just not releasing software for Linux, like, you know, mm-hmm. Office like teams like actually zoom was a bad example because they do actually have a linux app but mm-hmm. teams and office are definitely a good example if you did not have the the web-based client you would not be able to use linux for those operations and there'd be a lot more people who just couldn't run linux in their job like if all you a lot of that software now can just be replaced with a web application in some cases the web application is slightly limited like Office 365, the web version, doesn't have some of the features. Zoom, yep. the web version, you can't start a call, I believe. Probably the same for Teams. I'm not sure. but No, you can start a call. You can? Just fine. Okay. Yeah, because Ferdium, uh, Ferdium runs the web app for Teams. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, the I think the only thing that I've spotted that you can't really do easily in Teams is it's much harder to access like your device settings when you're not in a right. call, mm-hmm. and then uh, you can't do virtual backgrounds. I think mm, is the other okay. thing that I can't really I can't really find a way to do in the in the web based version of Teams. But yeah, beyond that, I mean, it seems pretty normal. Uh, but yeah, that is that that is the downside, and like that is a double edged sword of something like Electron. Like, mm-hmm. I get why some people don't like it, but at the same time. I don't know that we'd be getting some of the apps that we do get if yeah. it didn't exist. Yeah, I don't think there would be a, a Discord client. I don't think there would be mm-hmm. a Slack client, things like that. 
I agree. I I suspect not. But it is it is interesting to see kind of how it's evolving when it comes to stuff like that because I feel like we are starting to get more and more apps that are starting to run and I think, you know, Steam Deck's probably part of that. Mm. Yeah, Steam Deck's like been massive for for game support especially though. Like Valve I've talked about the Steam Deck so many times, but Valve dropped the ball so hard when they did Steam Machines. I don't know what Absolutely. they were thinking. Because, what, like six months, a year later, they had the first version of Proton. Like, what are, yes. you, what are you doing? I'm sure yes. maybe, like, some engineer wanted to push it out. Maybe they thought they would get developer support. I, I really would like to talk to someone from Valve who was there at the time who knows why Steam Machines came out when they did. Because I can imagine... A completely different history if Steam Machines dropped alongside Proton. I oh, don't yeah. think it would have been like this massive thing that everyone adopted. But I do think it would be a lot less of a failure. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Because I mean at the time, like the support was just so minimal. I, had I, yeah, I, don't, I know you I had don't Shadow of Mordor. That was one AAA game that did exist, but what Very else, few. What else was there? You played Counter Strike. Yeah, like Counter Strike and anything. Just about, just about. But yeah, the uh, yeah, I, I, I would be curious to hear that conversation. I am looking forward to that that episode of Tech Over Tea when you get, when you get that one to happen. Yeah, I'll see if I can uh, if I can uh, rope anyone into doing it. I'm getting slowly closer and closer to someone at Valve. I've I've been talking to uh, Glorious Eggroll, uh, the Proton GE guy. So, like, I'll get him on the show. If I get him on the show, maybe then I can get someone low at Valve. Eventually, eventually it's going to happen. Eventually I'll find out why. Because if, if I get someone from Valve on the show, like, just, just listen. You are going to be asked this question. I am not going to let you leave until you answer this question. I want to know. I mean, it's probably going to be the first question. Like, I just don't think you'll be able to stop yourself at that no, point. No, definitely not. I don't blame you. Because I remember <laughs> when one of the most puzzling things. Like I remember when the Steam Machine came out. Like what year was this? When did Steam Machines happen? Are this gonna twenty? Oh my god, it happened in twenty fifteen. Oh, that was eight years ago. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was gonna say. I think it was 2014, 2015. Yeah, that was so long ago. I had introduced twenty fourteen and then release date twenty fifteen. Why? Why? Just why? I don't. I don't know. But I thought the Proton was a couple years later. But maybe that was uh, a bit that later. Was just, yeah. uh, maybe maybe like that was when later. it actually became like a thing instead of being talked about. Um, um, release. Let's see. Because I thought it was like 2018. Because I feel actually... like I switched to Linux oh, well, around okay. that same time. No, I was wrong. It was a bit. It was a couple years later. Either way, why? Maybe maybe Proton only happened because the C machines failed. Could be. Mm. I mean, very possible. Um, I heard. I feel like uh, I was just getting into the Linux community, I think, right around then. And so mm. people were all about like, oh, well, they're, you know, they're trying to they're trying to stay up, step away from Windows and trying to find out. And I mean, maybe that's true. I, I don't know. But it's something where, you know, obviously they they got uh, they got discouraged or con concerned about something about Windows direction, I would assume, uh, because... Gaben has talked about the Windows App Store being a concern. Uh, Worried about it sort of becoming like the Apple ecosystem where, you know, you can download apps off the internet for a Mac, a Mac device, but most people are going to get their apps from the App Store. And, you know, it, 
he was worried that Windows would go that same direction. It hasn't, because no Fair. one cares. Like, you know, there are UWE apps that exist, but they're their own thing, and, you know, mo most people haven't adopted them in the same way. Well, I don't, I don't know if they're still doing it, but I remember, uh, maybe it was when my parents got their latest PC. It's mm -hmm. now running Windows 10 or 11, I don't remember now. But at one point, it was like, do you want to allow apps from other sources to be installed? Like, it tries to, it really tries to hammer you into that Windows yeah. store. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, I can see why they'll want you to do that, though. Like, you know, it... They're gonna justify it with security and private. They try to justify it with privacy. That's that's hilarious. But they're gonna try to that justify it with much. security and safety and you know no viruses, things like that. But it does put a lot of control in the hands of Microsoft, which would uh, Microsoft would love if they could just have a Android or an iOS like ecosystem where the old, the only app you installed they were coming from the Windows Store. If you wanted an app mm -hmm. on the on my on Windows, it's coming through the Windows Store. Mm hmm. Yeah, but but yeah, I, so yeah, Proton came out, and I actually I I want to say it was just a couple months after that I ended up checking out Linux again, and that's mm -hmm. when I first started really using it. So. It's been an interesting kind of time to mm -hmm. see that develop even from that point. Because even since that time, I feel like Linux gaming has come so far. Yeah. I mean, that was a huge step for it. But even since then, like, it's crazy the uh, amount of support I feel like it's gotten. I believe Did, when... Yeah, here we go. Uh, Liam Dill put out an article on gaming on Linux not that long ago. 10,000 games marked as verified and playable on the Steam Deck. That's pretty crazy. It is pretty crazy. Like, I remember when they first started doing the Verified program, it was like a couple of games. I remember when they first started doing Proton, and it was a couple of games that worked. Mm -hmm. It was like, here's this list of five games. I've, I've seen the list before. Uh, Proton uh, release supported games. Because it was this tiny, tiny list. I'm not going to be able to find it now, because it's from so long ago. Um... No, I'm not finding it. Yes. After this one, I have a good story from so long ago. Do you now? Okay. Yes. I, I can't find it. It's it's way too buried in history. Okay. So maybe you have heard about this one. So I, I remember, I think it was uh, your episode with... Uh, your episode with the uh, the Linux team, I believe. Uh, okay. He was talking about Hannah Montana. Yeah, he was talking about Hannah Montana and Linux, right? Okay, okay. Did you know that there is a Rebecca Black OS? Uh, I'm aware of that one, yes. Did you know that they supported Wayland in 2013? When did Fedora start supporting it? Is that before Fedora? I'm pretty sure that's before Fedora, but I don't, I don't remember when Fedora did it. Um, I, oh, and funny, fun fact, uh, Rebecca Black OS is still being updated. Um, yeah. Why? I, I was looking it up for, uh, I was looking up, uh, I was trying to talk, I think I was talking about why so many distros and I stumbled across Rebecca Black OS and then I saw the update was literally two days before I was recording. I'm like, wow, that's pretty crazy. And then, uh, but yeah, they, they apparently implemented Weston in 2013. Rebecca Black OS <laughs> it wasn't is like Debian usable. Debian's live distribution to be 
used to run Wayland desktop sessions, Rebecca Black OS can run a number of popular open source desktop environments on top of a Wayland graphical session. The distribution was and remains one of the only Linux distributions to run a Wayland session from live media. The distribution is available in 32... Okay. Wait, also it's a 32-bit OS support as well. They didn't drop... Yes. What? It's... Like I just, I just found it incredible that like that was a thing, and they were doing it back in 2013. And I'm just like, wow, that's that's pretty crazy. Yeah, no, it actually is. Uh, I got the idea to name a Linux distro after my favorite celebrity after I saw some earlier Linux distributions named after celebrities, and also this KDE blog post. Uh, this is amongst the first live distribution to provide a Wayland server. Wait, so it has nothing to do. It's not like Hannah Montana Linux, where it's like you know, a, a you know, it's just Hannah Montana themed. It's just a regular distro that happens yes, to be called Red is, Black OS. Yes, it is, and uh, I think it even. I want to say that I even saw that he talks about that and like ultimately says something like you know without the copyright material or something. Somebody yeah, is comparing yeah. it to Hannah Montana without the copyright stuff. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, okay. That's really random, but yeah, I mean, I was I was really surprised when I found that in the uh, the random internet Linux <laughs> knowledge base. Mm -mm. There are a lot of weird, very weird projects out there that just just someone felt like was a good idea at some point in history. A lot of the oh, time, absolutely. it wasn't. <laughs> but but I just find it cool that it's still being updated. That's oh the no, part that's I find amazing. That's the most ridiculous part. Yeah, there was. Yeah, there's project activity two days ago. Why? Yeah. Why? What, what, what are you doing? <laughs> so how did you actually get yourself like involved in Linux? Like, where did you... You said you started using it, like, 2018, but had you yeah. experienced it before? Had you heard about it, or...? Yeah, so I actually ended up hearing about it probably in the 2006, 2007, 2008 range. Okay. And I did try it out at one point, but at that point in time, like you still had a separate uh, root user was the common thing. Um, I want to say, like, I'm trying to remember, was it, I think we were still in the GNOME two days at that point, um, KDE probably three. Mm -hmm. I don't remember now, but you know, I kind of messed with it and I just didn't quite get it. Like I didn't, right. it didn't really click into me like, Hey, this is, this is what uh, you need to do. And of course, at that point in time, I was more into PC games anyway, and that just wouldn't really be an option on Linux. Right. Um, I sure. did play around with it a little bit, but ultimately just didn't, didn't really stick. But you know, I, I was using Windows all day. So I ended up getting a tech support or a des desktop support job at one point. And uh, that's kind of where a lot of people in America at least start in IT. Mm -hmm. And so I was doing that all day, dealing with Windows problems all day. And then I would come home and hop on TeamSpeak and play when, uh, PC games on Windows. And then uh, my next job was, again, on Windows. And finally, I just realized, like, I'm just really not enjoying any kind of computing outside of work. Like, mm -hmm. I don't want to mess with my computer. And then, like, my main computer went down. And, like, I would just didn't care. Mm -hmm. Like I was so unmotivated to fix it. I just didn't even bother. And um, a friend was talking about how he was messing with the Linux. I think this was probably in reaction to some of that Proton stuff, actually. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, um, I'm just like, okay, fine, I'll try it out. I mean, I don't really have anything else that I'm trying to do right now on my PC. So sure, I'll, I'll mess with it and see if it's something that I can get to work. And 
I ended up installing Linux Mint on an external hard drive and running off the external hard drive um, for like a month. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I didn't have to go back to Windows. Mm -hmm. I only had to get like files. So fine, we're wiping out Windows and we're going Linux and uh, just kind of went from there. Um, I built a machine a, a year later. It's still running Manjaro mm -hmm. somehow uh, from 2019, which is pretty cool. Um, I need to probably wipe it out at some point here and uh, put something else on it. But mm -hmm. it is still running. It is. I haven't really had. I think I've had one NVIDIA graphics issue with it. And that's really been it. Wow. So, that's good. Yeah. yeah. What do you. Um, I, uh, I, uh, sorry. Go on. Go ahead. I was going to say, what, uh, what NVIDIA card are you running? In that one, I am running a 980 Ti. <laughs> I'm guessing that's it's a not bit your old at this point. Yeah, that's not your main gaming box. No, um, I don't. I need to play more video uh, PC games. I tend to play on console a little bit more right now. Fair enough. But uh, I do need to play uh, some more PC games. But no, this uh, the current machine I'm I'm kind of using right now is uh, it's got a 30 3080 Ti, I think. And it, I they they dropped in price at one point to a really good one and i'm like okay well i'm picking this up and uh so yeah it's a, it's a pretty solid machine i'll probably it's a it's a thaleo so i'll probably be doing a review of that mm -hmm. fairly soon but uh, i just haven't got the chance to do so yet but yeah it's uh it's pretty good uh i'm still trying to the nvidia thing is definitely a thing but there are other times where you know you kind of need the nvidia especially as i use davinci resolve right so, okay yeah. Yeah. It's 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 kind of like, okay, well, which which path do you want to fight more? Uh but yes. Uh if if I do I've been thinking about a Steam box at some point, because mm -hmm. I feel like that would help between Steam Deck and Steam Box. Mm -hmm. But if I do that one, I'm definitely going AMD for that. There's mm -hmm. no doubt about that. Yeah, if you don't need, you know, if you don't need Cootie, you don't need DaVinci, yeah, definitely Yeah. Like I I don't know, like, NVIDIA's a really weird one for me, because I know someone, right? He's going to know mm -hmm. who I'm talking about when I'm when I'm saying this. He's had nothing but perfect experience using NVIDIA. Mm -hmm. And then he bought an AMD card, and it was the worst thing he'd ever bought. It was a disaster. None of the yep. drivers worked. None of the software needed work. He sold the card and went back to his NVIDIA card because it just it was so much smoother for him. And I don't understand. I, I really don't because I've maybe I'm just like I I don't my, my computer's like magic. I've never had any driver issues with pretty much anything. Maybe, maybe there's been like a one or two driver crashes here for some random thing, but my experience has been mostly rock solid for pretty much everything I need. Well, and I feel like for me, for the most part. Uh, I had at first my hybrid graphics on NVIDIA just do not agree at all. But uh, once I got away from that, I really haven't had that many NVIDIA issues until it comes to stuff like Wayland. Mm. But it seems to be a very specific case by case basis. Like I, I had a, I had a machine where it would run just fine on an NVIDIA card, but then I have another one where like it does all this weird stuff on NVIDIA mm. card and it's, I don't know. It's really, it's really, really weird about how specific some of the hardware issues are when it comes to NVIDIA stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's a, maybe that's a manufacturer specific thing, potentially. I don't know. I would never, like, computers are, computers are weird. I don't understand them. I just use them. So what is your, your whale actually ex experience been like? Uh, hit and miss. Very hit, hit and miss. miss. Okay. What were you um, trying out? So, 
for them, I was trying out, uh, I was in Nibara, uh 37, I was using Plasma uh -huh. and Wayland. And I mean, most of the time it was fine. Mm -hmm. uh, but when it comes to, if you launch Zoom, no go. It like, it just completely freezes everything and you have to basically switch to X. Huh. Um, it, I even got it to pop up at one point and it said something like, if you want to use Wayland and uh, use Zoom in Wayland, you need to use GNOME. <laughs> like that's it literally said something just like that it was of course you know worded differently but right, right. it literally says use the desktop environment no or hmm. gnome whatever you whichever one you want to call it i will i will probably say gnome because i'm trying to focus on that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but yes that is that is ultimately what it popped up doing uh screen sharing is still a little weird at times um, I had some issues where I was trying to share my screen like in Discord or something, and that just didn't didn't work. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, OBS, it works fine. But yeah, I mean, it's been very, very hit and miss. It really depends entirely on what you're trying to do. And as I found out, you know, when I messed with another computer with an NVIDIA card, it really depends on how good the NVIDIA experience is going to be mm -hmm. for you on Wayland. Um, there was yeah. the... What is it? When screen sharing what's what's it called exploit and video bridge there is that uh, to deal with the the screen sharing issue on on wayland but yeah it, it's still like it is an extra thing you need to do the support's not there in discord it, it, it's a it's a bit messy as it stands um mm -hmm. Honestly, your best option <laughs> this is a, this is a hack still your best option is to Use the uh, virtual camera in OBS, capture mm -hmm. the desktop with OBS, and then send it as a webcam into Discord. Yep, probably so. Uh, but yeah, so the other the other thing that I would say about Wayland, and you touched on it right there, is it just seems like there's all these little things you have to install. And sometimes there's really not great documentation, mm -hmm. actually, you know, or even worse i don't even know what to ask right you know what i mean like i don't even know what i'm trying to ask it to do um and so like the hyperland uh, i've been looking at that a little bit but the hyperland wiki is good about some of that but other times like it's just it's like okay i go do this and then i go and i looked for this and it's like well this is not working quite right and it's like okay now what do i need to do and now mm -hmm. i look for this other application but yeah that is um i think that and uh there was something I was just comparing it to in my head. It's like, a, oh, it's like a window manager. Right. It really honestly seems very similar to me because there's all these little things that you have to go and, you know, tweak and set up mm -hmm. and install. I think for a lot of people, the Wayland experience is going to be GNOME. It's may, maybe KDE when we hit uh, Plasma 6. We'll see. Mm -hmm. um, but right now, GNOME seems to be the most put together Wayland experience where it just... It works as a thing. Like, mm -hmm. I I like piecing together things and working out how all of these things fit together. I'm using Hyperland. I love it. It's a great experience, except when it crashes, which is sometimes more often than it should. Uh, some of the crashes, though, are not actually um, Hyperland's fault. It's some other thing in the the yep. uh, product stack behind it. Like, you know, the GTK portal locks up mm -hmm. and crashes my desktop i had a brave plugin kill my desktop i don't know how it did wow. that i didn't know it was possible um yeah 
that's that's really crazy. I have not heard of something least, like that, but that's what it said in my log. So maybe maybe it wasn't that. It was just like that was the last thing the log printed out. But yeah, I don't know. The point is, we're. I think functionality wise, we are probably like 95, 96% of the way there. But what we're still missing is that simplicity. Is that, mm -hmm. you know, on X, you don't have to think about getting portals set up or getting all of the rest of this stuff set up. It's just, it's just there. When we get to the point where we have distros that ship all of this stuff just working, then I think for a lot of people, then it will be good. Yeah, I think for the vast majority, it'll be fine then. And I mean, I, I do think, you know, I do think for if you're not running a video card right now, especially like, I think you're probably fine for a lot of use cases. Well, a, a lot of the issues are also content creator things. Like you don't have to worry about yes. OBS not working if you're not using OBS. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, we are edge cases, obviously mm -hmm. we're going to be, but, but yeah, I mean, we're also trying to constantly break our systems, installing stuff, looking at stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I, I get it. Like I'm not going to be the ideal case for Wayland at this point. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's been that's been my experience. But I, I tend to agree with your kind of thought that in probably the next year or two, it's probably going to be good for the vast majority of people. I don't know if it'll be the next year or two, but I, I definitely do think next couple of years for sure. Like, you know, three, four. I think by the time we hit. So I, 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 there are definitely like murmurings about GTK 5 being Wayland only. And if that's mm -hmm. the case, then Gnome is Wayland only. By that right. point. I think, like, a lot of the issues have been resolved, mm -hmm. and it's just a matter of putting them together. Makes sense. I think there will always be a place for the, you know, for the hyperlands, for the sways, for the rivers, where it's, you know, it's a desktop that you piece together, because, you know, there's already that on the X side with the, the window manager stuff, where... Right. You, know, you could go and install KD, and KD is going to work great in X. You could go and install Gnome or XFC or anything like that, and everything is just there for you as is. But like the reason why Arch exists, there's always going to be people that want to have this more, you know, digging into the weeds, working out exactly how they want things to fit together. Maybe not even fitting things together. You just grab two puzzle pieces that don't fit, and you just jam them together. Like, oh, that works. Might as well. It does the job good enough. That's half my system. Um... But for the regular person, I think when these desktops... And I think distros like Nobara are making things easier. Distros like Ublu are making things easier. Mm -hmm. But it's still a little bit away. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, I thought you were going to say something more there. <laughs> well, no, I was... So I was about to ask, you're still, you're still running Arch, yes? Yes, Arch and Hyperland. Yes, Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm running Arch right now. I'm running uh, i3, the uh, Arco Linux i3. Okay. I I actually think that they probably should split the config file out into multiple files, but that's just me because uh, it's kind of annoying looking at an 800 line file. Yeah, I've looked at the Arco configs, and Arco Arco is a great distro, and it has a great. I guess it's not really a distro because it's just Arch upstream. Mm -hmm. It's just, I guess you'd call it like an Arch configuration script, effectively, uh, in the form of an yes. ISO. Um, but Arco's configs, we've talked about these before, they are they are too comprehensive. 
Like it. Mm-hmm. I looked at my like I I have Alacrity installed, and Alacrity the developers wrote a ridiculous config. It's like fifteen hundred lines long. It's got all the documentation in the config, and that's fine for one application. But when every single application has a fifteen hundred line config, like I don't yes. know how to deal with this. Yes, um, and you know it, it's it's helpful because in some aspects, I'm looking at i three trying to understand like what's even possible, mm-hmm. and in that respect, like I think it's really helpful. But there are other times like where I'm just like, okay, do I just take this file, back it up, and then just start my own thing and just build line by line by line. And I'm really thinking that's probably the way I'm going to end up going if I'm going to stick on i3. I don't know. I may end up trying something else. But I'm just kind of still trying to find kind of that ideal setup for me. Um, Obviously, with content creation and gaming, sometimes a window manager's not ideal. No, they're not. (laughs) No, they're definitely not. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm still playing with it. I'm tr- still trying to see ultimately what the best fit is. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of, I'm kind of actually debating going like Debian and then like DistroBox okay. or something like that. I don't know. Cause I, I've, I've been thinking about, um, you know, the whole argument, um, that, uh, that, uh, George was making about, you know, wanting to make sure that you have a stable box. And I mean, yes, that is true. But I also need to be able to hack on my system, and it's kind of a it's kind of a tough thing to do with a, you know, a mutable distro sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. It's uh, it's something where I need to I need to really kind of figure that out. But that's that's what I've kind of been thinking about would be a potential way to do it. But I'm kind of I'm also I really like a lot of the things in Arch. Um, I like Nobara pretty well too. But there's just there's some things in Fedora that kind of just irk me in some ways and it's just kind of weird things yeah (laughs) it's well the red hat stuff has not helped much Uh, at all but uh i don't know how much i don't think any impact on fedora but it just you know it's just one of those things where people are probably gonna kind of push away a little bit from some of their projects i had so many people who just okay every time i talk about fedora there's always people like Fedora is controlled by Red Hat, it's controlled by IBM, except in this one case. When I talked yeah. about, like, you know, Red Hat doing their thing, changing the source code, I had people being like, is Fedora going to be okay? Is Fedora fine? Like, <laughs> guys, did everybody forget that Fedora is a Red Hat project? Like, how did you all forget this all of a sudden? Like, the guy who runs it is a Red Hat engineer. A lot of the core developers are Red Hat engineers. <laughs> Why did everyone forget this? I mean, it's literally the testing ground mm-hmm. for Red Hat Enterprise Linux. Like, yeah, I, I don't know, um, but yeah, I I I can see people moving away from that. But yeah, I I don't see any effect on the actual project itself. No, it's it's um, gonna be fine. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I've talked so much about the Red Hat stuff this week already. Like, it's I understand. <laughs> Like, I've done two videos. No, I've done three videos on it. I've done three videos on it. The third one's not out yet. I did the first one on Red Hat's original um, announcement. Second one on their response to their... The criticism of their announcement. Third one is going to be on the Software Freedom Conservancy's uh, take on the whole situation. Um, and they're not very happy about it, uh, as as you might expect. But they're not going so far as calling red hat spyware like they did with ubuntu back in the day i remember that <laughs> that was fun back when um ubuntu had the amazon shopping lens 
Yeah. Yeah, and they, they were just like... I vaguely remember that. Yeah, spyware. Um, But I think their general stance was Red Hat is... Red Hat tries their, their hardest to be a... They to respect the GPL were acting as much like a proprietary company as possible. Like, they, they're as close to the line as they can possibly get, so mm-hmm. sometimes they make mistakes and shift slightly over that line. Mm-hmm. Well, and and I I made a video about it. I wasn't initially in, in, intending to talk about it, mm-hmm. but the thing that I missed is some people were just like, well, why would you be using RHEL? And I just want to be like, uh... There yep. are some places where you're gonna need to use RHEL. Yep. So, uh, but you know, I talked about that, and I think one of the one of the comments was something like, uh, "Anytime a publicly traded company gets involved, and it, it just ruins everything." And I'm like, I I kind of get the sentiment, but at the same time, it's one of those weird catch twenty twos with open source. Is you kind of have to have some of that business because at times, you know, it's really going to be difficult to actually keep certain projects going. Right. I mean, you know, that's why we have some of the distros we have because of, you know, companies putting money into them specifically mm-hmm. because of, you know, whatever product they want to make. So I don't know. It's a, it's a really tricky thing. It's something where I think the situation is a lot more complex than most people seem to think it is. But yeah, it, it, definitely uh, not the not the move that I would have made. For anyone curious about the relationship between Fedora, Red Hat, and IBM, I clipped out the segment where Matthew Miller talked about that from, uh, I guess, like whatever, wh- whenever Matthew was on the show, I think it was like two weeks ago. I'm very ahead in my uh, my backlog of shows, so I can't remember when things actually came out. But last week, as we're recording this, and his basic basic stance was. The demands that Red Hat and IBM make are no different than what a shareholder would have made anyway. It's not like IBM is doing anything crazy to Red Hat. It's just they own the company and are making the same sort of mm-hmm. demands that any like publicly traded company would have if it wasn't just owned by some massive corporation. Absolutely. And I mean, yeah, and I... I, I don't know. It's one of those deals where, like I say, it's it's really a difficult thing that I think eventually we're going to have to figure something out because mm-hmm. I just don't see how some of the business model for open source continues the way it is. Um, I think you've brought up the uh, the guy who decided that he was no longer going to update his uh, left pad app. Yes, and, yes, left pad. And broke, uh, broke half the sites on the internet. You know, yeah. I mean, there's stuff like that all the time where you know, a big company will use it and not do anything with it or, mm-hmm. you know, the, or something like this. And I don't know. It's something we're going to have to figure out because it's it's eventually going to be more necessary. Well, when LeftPad happened, like, NPM had to change their policies about project removal. You've got to be, like, a very... You've got to be either malware or have a very special reason to be removed from NPM at this point. Because back then... Anybody could just delete a project just if they wanted to, which is a problem if someone with millions of downloads a week decides to do it. Yeah. But back to that point about some people wanting to use RHEL, like, what value does it, does just like RHEL actually bring to a, bring, bring, maybe not to an individual, because that, I think that's where people are approaching it from. Why would an individual want to use it? But that's not 
the people who are really the main target of something like Rill. No. Yeah, so an indiv yeah, so I don't know why an individual would want to use it unless they were unless just a developer. You know, yeah, and, unless and they were a developer the or they were yeah. really involved in the Red Hat, you know, Red Hat Enterprise Linux system or that, you know, they wanted to learn it. Yeah. Something like that. Sure. But yep. yeah, companies tend to want to use it because of the support contract. That's one big thing that they, you know, will often take advantage of. Um, I was talking about that in my video that ultimately like the support contract for RHEL, if you have like a level one outage or level one severity ticket, like mm -hmm. they have to respond to you within an hour. Level one they being? Have keep, uh, like your production system is down, losing okay. data, okay. something like that. Yeah. So that's their most severe ticket. And like they have to respond within an hour. They have to keep talking to you every hour, like within an hour every time. They have to keep replying to you within an hour. And it for like their premium customers or whatever, like that is... 24 7 365 mm -hmm. so that is one reason and then also the uh the fact that certain products actually require you to have a specific you know setup for yep. to get support for them uh, oracles really good about that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, <laughs> i know we all love oracle Man, but um oracle. but yeah that's that's another reason why you know some places do really want to use red hat enterprise linux is mm -hmm. because they want to have support from the product that they just you know bought a license for uh but then the other thing is like i i don't and you mentioned this i think in a previous episode and mm -hmm. i was like yeah that's that's very true because uh you know the size of red hat uh compared to canonical and seuss like mm -hmm. those are the only two kind of companies i know that are even in that sort of even I, I don't even know if I say ballpark. I don't even know what I'd say. Universe? Um, because, I mean, it, it's... I Red mean, Hat is so much bigger. Yes, it's it's like 10 times, at the least, bigger than Canonical, if not 30 times bigger, depending on how much the price would actually be. Um, so, yeah. So, according to a Google search that is probably very accurate, um, Red Hat's revenue... In 2018, was 3.4 billion. Keep in mind that's 2018, so that's actually before COVID, and they skyrocketed in value. Um, yes. Canonical in 2020 at one point uh, one oh, sorry 141 million, and then Sousa 450 million. Right, and so like I just looked at like what each company is worth. So Red Hat uh, was also sold for context. For, like... Microsoft is 168 billion. So <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, way so, bigger than all like, of them. But yeah, so, so Seuss, the market cap, Seuss, the, the the market cap for Seuss is like two point six billion dollars. So mm -hmm. if you wanted to buy Seuss, it would be two point six billion dollars just in straight stock, right? Uh, Canonical is obviously not publicly traded, so I think the the numbers I saw it was like this was a couple of years ago, so I assume it's probably went up. But the numbers I saw were like a billion to three billion, right. and then it's like okay. And then Red Hat's over here being sold for $34 billion. And it's like, there's, I mean, it's just a completely different world. Yo, yo. <laughs> yeah, uh, Red Hat is massive, is the point. Uh, how did we get to this? What, where are we going? I don't remember. Um, I, I think we were just jumping off the point of, you know, open source and the business of open source and things like that. Oh, wait, I remember what I was going to go to. Um, I think a lot of people also... Oh, no, 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 I don't remember. We'll get to that other point in a bit. Um, this gets back to the point of why companies, why a lot of companies were using things like CentOS and why companies started mm -hmm. using Rocky Linux and Alma Linux. Because 
there is a lot of software packages built with that system. A lot of people on the desktop, they think about distros as in like a mostly interchangeable thing. Like you could just use this Mm -hmm. distro or that distro. But when you have a software package built specifically for RHEL, you need to be on RHEL if you want any reasonable level of support. And then distros like CentOS and Rocky Linux and Alma Linux come along and they are one-to-one compatible. A lot of people didn't understand why... Why would you want to be one-to-one, bug-for-bug compatible with RHEL? Like, what is the value there? The value is being in that same sphere as RHEL and being able to mm-hmm. get that same level of support you would get if you were using RHEL directly. Um, yeah, and even beyond that, just test environments and things like that where mm-hmm. you didn't necessarily need... Excuse me. didn't necessarily need the, uh, the license mm-hmm. being taken up by that. There was um, someone that sent me an interesting... This is getting, like, into Red Hat conspiracy territory, which I love. Um, So, someone sent me a... God, where is it? My Discord has absolute nonsense in it. Uh, Where is the post? It's from yesterday. About why it happened, like, kind of now. Like, what's the deal with now? Why... Uh, why would they care to do it? Um, what chat is it in? I someone sent me the the a ping. I'll find it because it's beautiful. Because um, there are a couple of a couple of like government contracts that have been happening recently. A couple of companies that have been uh, getting involved. Here mm-hmm. it is. Okay. Uh, so someone first sent me that NASA had a contract with Rocky Linux. Yeah, NASA secured a contract with Rocky Linux. And then also CERN uh, was going to use Alma Linux. Maybe this is getting into conspiracy territory, but it seems really interesting the timing timing on this. Yeah, I had not heard about that, but yeah, that's... That's a really interesting timing for sure. Mm. I don't think it's like the the thing that did it, but I would mm-hmm. imagine it's sort of the the cam the, the camel that broke the straws back. The straw that <laughs> broke the camel's back is that last yeah. little push they needed to be like, okay, this is a problem that we need to deal with now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. Uh, very possible. Very possible. I, but, I, yeah, I. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, no, sorry, you can go ahead. What were you saying? Oh, I was gonna say we could probably move on from Red Hat, though. I feel like we, I feel <laughs> like most people are probably sick of it by now. Yeah, I probably like by the time this comes out, it'll be old news anyway. So, <laughs> so what is your like? So maybe it's, maybe it's gonna aid yourself. Um, when did you start getting into computing? Like, yeah, so. I ended up getting so I'm probably a little younger than I look. The uh, the lights probably don't really help, but Mm-mm. I'm just just a uh, late 30s right now. So ultimately, I got into computing in the Windows 3.1 days. Oh. I had a Packard Bell machine with the uh, they had actually a custom like OS on top of it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was an OS a, a layer on top of it. I'm trying to Packard Bell Navigator. If you can find a picture of that. Packard Bell Navigator. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Um, so they took, they basically took and tried to remove the actual like Windows desktop. What the hell am I looking it... at? Yeah, I, I can't actually see your screen, but I assume you're, um, I assume you're looking at like a hallway yes. with doors. That's yes. exactly what I'm looking at. 
Yeah, and so like you'd go into the door and you'd be able to launch like specific apps. So like they had one like workspace or whatever where you'd have like a weird processor and they'd had one like a kid space where you had like games and stuff. So yeah, that is what uh that was my first computer. I remember um the uh the the thing the first like thing that I was trying to figure out how to do was install a uh, floppy disk game. I didn't realize you had to actually go to DOS to do this. And so somebody, uh, you know, a, fr a friend of the family showed me how to do that. And mm -hmm. I kind of figured that out. And, you know, of course, at that point, it's like, that's really interesting. You're like going to this prompt and typing things in. And then the game starts up. Um, fun fact, that game had copy protection on it. And you had to actually read the manual to start a mission. Because the, the mission would tell you like a specific phrase from the manual. And you had to go get the next three letters that is the most 90s copy protection I've ever yes. seen. <laughs> yes. It took me forever to figure that out because, I mean, at the time I was like eight or nine years or uh, yeah, 10 or 11 years old. I'm just like, I don't know what this thing is even asking. I hadn't read the manual. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Why would I do that? That sounds like the kind of thing you would see in some like game magazine. Be like, hey, here's how you get to the secret level. Type in this specific key phrase. Yeah. But uh, but yes, that that's that that was when uh later on I realized uh, that's the copy protection. They mm. didn't want people just taking <laughs> copying the floppy disk. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There is some great copy protection from that. Like before we had like DRM like we have now. Some of that early things, like some of those early things devs tried, just they were they were just fun. My favorite one is um is Spyro, where the game mostly works fine. But mm -hmm. you get to a certain boss and it just resets the entire game. But it doesn't reset it properly. So it actually soft locks mm -hmm. the game. Like you, you still have all of the things you've collected, but NPCs are missing. So you can't go to like further further stages. And the game just completely just breaks in half. Yeah, there's there's all kinds of interesting stuff like that. You know, the impossible bosses that you just can't beat. Mm. Um yeah, all, all kinds of stuff like that. It was really an interesting time to see some of that uh, and look back on it now because, yeah, there there is some of, like you say, very 90s, very 90s copy protection right Actually, there. Even some stuff a bit uh, later than that, like Dark Souls 1. Mm -hmm. uh, Dark Souls 1 with that, uh, people got pre-release copies of that. Um, I think the first enemy, like all of the enemies in like the tutorial area were replaced. Have you played Dark Souls? Yes. Okay, so... All of the enemies in the asylum were replaced with um, black knights. Mm. So, and that was before you even had your sword. So you could get through it. You absolutely could. But yeah, you had to get good at the game very quickly. Yeah, I probably could not get through it. Um, yeah, I. But yeah, I. I haven't. I haven't got too far into the Dark Souls stuff. I did get a lot into Elden Ring. That was a lot of fun. That game is. I need to. Insane. Uh, oh man, it's like I have I have not had a game click like that in a while. Um, I need to actually like I'm at the very end. I need to actually go and beat it. But mm -hmm. yeah, it's just one of those deals where that game like it. I I was so like not interested mm -hmm. in that game because it was just another Dark Souls game, and I'm like, okay, I mean, you know, whatever, sure. Um, but then like some of the reviews started hitting, and I started just seeing some of the gameplay, and I'm like. This looks more akin to like what I what I tended to compare it more to is like Skyrim, where right. 
that is kind of the thing where everybody was talking about that game. And people, like, even in people, just random people in Jiu-Jitsu were talking about that game. And, you know, I didn't even really necessarily know they were gamers, but mm -hmm. they were they were talking about Elden Ring. Everybody was. It was so cool because everybody was talking about, Did you know, if you go here, you know, it's all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, Elden Ring, that... <laughs> I, I I'm not surprised it did well, but I didn't think it would do that well because that was that pushed from software would be like they were always a, a company known. They were known for Dark Souls. They were you know you mm -hmm. known for Sekiro. Like people knew they existed, but that really that was their first game that genuinely hit the mainstream audience and people who weren't fans of the series actually gave it a shot. And when they did, yes. like. The uh, the game awards that year were insane. Like every single category that had Elden Ring, Elden Ring would win it, unless God of War Ragnarok was in the same category. And then they would just fight to the death over which was going to win win that award. Basically, every category was won by one of those games. Well, and it's also just crazy to me how I feel like a lot of open world games now. Like it's it's just crazy to me the level of detail that they actually had in comparison because mm -hmm. i mean you know sometimes you get a lot of more kind of uh uh procedural generation stuff and yep. like a lot of it felt very specific and very you know in, in uh, specific mm -hmm. and so i think that's something that really stood out about that game to me but it's something where you know it's like i'm not saying it's like the best game ever or anything but like it was just a really awesome game and it came out at, on in a year where I, I mean, beyond God of War Ragnarok, I don't know that there's much else that really stood out to me in the general. The scene? Not really. Like, there was a couple of good indie games, for sure. Like, Stray, Absolutely. Stray came out that year. Stray was also yep. incredible. But AAA-wise, like, I can't think of anything. Nah. No, I, I can't either. And I'm sure I'm forgetting, like, one or two yeah, that I'm sure, like, oh, yeah, yeah, that was pretty good. But, but yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I've... I've I'm mostly to the point where I tend to play more indie type mm. games. And, um, you know, it's it's a shame, but I mean, that's just the way it is right now to me anyway. Um, but yeah, that's a, that is that is something you definitely need to get to, Brody. I feel bad for the Horizon Forbidden West developers because that game also came out in 2022. Oh. Everyone just yes. forgot it existed. Oh, yes. wait, a, a Spider-Man game also came out. Okay, sure. Uh, oh, that was remastered. Ah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. Um. So Spider, like Spider Man, when it first came out, like yeah, that game was awesome. That is. Uh, that was honestly one of my favorite games that year. I recently, I'm not a big like superhero guy. I recently um watched the Into the Spider Verse and then whatever the sequel was called. I don't remember. What, um. But I I actually do want to go and actually play the the PlayStation Spider Man games, the Amazing Spider Man, Miles Morales, all that stuff, because they seem really fun. Like. I, I, yes. It seems like something different from what I would normally play as well because I'm a big, I am very big on JRPGs, and mm -hmm. you know, it, it's nice to try out something different from time to time. Oh yeah, so so I don't have the uh, the fancy figures that you do, but I mean, like I have, you know, I've I've been watching anime since like I was a teenager at this mm. point, because uh, that was actually when it first started, like actually becoming a thing over here, mm -hmm. like Yu Show and. Uh, yep. Dragon Ball Z and all that. That's that's when all of that was coming out. So, yeah, I uh, I I'm into the JRPGs as well, Chrono Trigger, some of those classics, especially. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the uh, I need to get into Final Fantasy 16, and I just haven't yet. But 
It's on my list. Besides, uh -oh. besides 16, which I'm also playing on stream, very good game. Highly recommend it. Um, I'm not going to say anything about it, because you just need to play it. Uh, yep. Well, I'm also playing, also playing Final Fantasy XII. Nice. It's actually nice. Very different game. Yeah, it's... It's... I don't know. Like... I don't know how to explain 12. It's it's a cuz it's a game that you can make play itself if you really want yes, to. Yes, with the gamut system. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um and I hear so uh, this is obviously Zodiac Age, but I hear the mm. original version was a lot harder cuz Zodiac Age is not difficult. Zodiac Age is very easy. Um pretty much every encounter in the game can be solved by spamming Thundara. <laughs> Until you get to a boss that has reflect, and then you wipe your entire party because you don't really have reflect. <laughs> that just reflects your entire damage back on yourself. That's great, right there. I don't. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, one thing that stood out to Final Fantasy twelve because I think before that one, for Final Fantasy ten, obviously eleven was online, but yeah. Final Fantasy ten, Final Fantasy nine, eight, and seven were more focused on, like, the characters. Mm. And Final Fantasy XII was really more focused on, like, political stuff going on yep. in the nations in the game. And you were just kind of, like, there mm. a lot mm. of times. Well, yeah, the main but... character technically is supposed to be Vaughn, but, like, he's not the main character. <laughs> yeah. He just chills in the background half the time while Ash is doing stuff. Lars is doing stuff. Penelo is even more important than he is. And... I, I I do I do I don't know it's it's kind of nice to not be. It, it's nice to play a game sometimes where you're not the chosen one. Maybe you are the chosen one. I'm not finished it, mm -hmm. but you're not the chosen one from the start of the game. Like you're not. Yes. Everyone's like this is why I'm also uh, FF14 player as well. This is why I really like. I played a while. Mm. This this is why I like Stormblood because in Stormblood you are basically just another soldier. Like, you know, mm -hmm. you are sent out to go kill the big, scary bad guy when they show up. But half the time, like, you're not there to solve everyone's problems, like you are with most of the other expansions, and like you are in most MMOs. Like, you know, you play yeah. WoW, for example, you are there to save the day. You are there to, you know, you're the, you're the key focus. I Like, I, it's nice to do something different. It really is. Yeah, it is. And um, it's... It's always interesting when a game tries to do that and then they just kind of don't. Mm. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, they uh, it's interesting to see how they go from you're not the chosen one to you're the chosen one or, you know, how they just start you out as the chosen one from the mm. beginning and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, I, I've been... Uh... What's have I mean to play? I've got a bunch of games in my... You know, you always have a ton of games in your Steam list where you're just like, yes. I need to play this at some point, but, you know, I'll get to it eventually. <laughs> like, Armored Core comes out in August. Oh, goodness. Yeah. I feel like everything is coming out. And, uh, like, I'm a big co-op player. Mm. So, like, I feel like, uh, what is it? Remnant 2 is coming out. I think that's going to be really good. Um, Armored Core, I think, is going to be really interesting. I'm hoping that I'm, it's going to be something I'm going to be into. And then there's something else that uh, is coming out. Um, Atlas? I forget. Anyway, there's. I feel like there's several co-op games that are, seem like they could be pretty solid coming out in the next couple of months. So mm. it's going to be interesting to play that and see you know, what ends up turning out good, what ends up running on Linux and all that good stuff. Considering where we are now, like a lot of games... 
I don't even really think about games whether True. they work or not. Like, a lot of the time, I just buy a game. I don't even check pros on DB. I'll, maybe I'll do, like, a quick look. But unless I know that it has, like, anti-cheat, mm-hmm. I don't even bother, really. And most of the time, it's at least a silver, sometimes a gold or a platinum. Like, well, I guess it's fine then. Sure, we'll play it. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's always crazy to see like people just like, oh yeah, this is unverified, but it works fine on Steam Deck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, the, the Steam Deck verification is kind of weird. Like, the I've criticized the way the criteria works and some of the the focuses they have. Um, but hey, if it gets developers doing things in a better way, sure, go ahead, whatever, it's fine. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that, as part of the game jam, like I actually got my game running on the Steam Deck, which okay. was kind of cool. I was able to, to, to use the dev tools and just load it. And I was like, that's really cool. I actually got it to, you know, over here on the Steam Deck running, working with the controls. So what do you actually do for the game jam? I didn't ask you about that. Yeah, so I just did a very simple platformer. It mm, was something free. where I ended up using assets that I found, you know, for free and, and just did that route. Um, I was thinking about, like, I want to do some more pixel art stuff and see if I could get into that a little bit more. But mm-hmm. it was something where I had 10 days to do it. I had to learn a lot about game development. But yeah, just a simple platformer that uh, with a couple of levels really tried to focus on some of the movement and mm-hmm. things like that just to see what I could do, make a, you know, tried some things, uh, tried to create like a checkpoint system. It kind of worked, mm-hmm. didn't work quite as well on the moving platforms, but, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. happens. Um, but yeah, that's, it, it was a very, very simple game, but I, I was, I was just really cool. It was really cool to me to be able to take it and actually just over Wi-Fi, just send it directly to the Steam Deck and just be like, oh yeah, it's running. Mm-hmm. Great. <laughs> I've not really done game development in quite a while. It, I, I did a bit of um, mobile game dev during uni. I, I've done a bit of some like very early, very simple Java stuff when I was first learning to program. But I think it would be cool to go and actually do a a proper project at some point. Get involved with game jam. Just just do something. Just do something fun. Do something different. Yes. Yeah, and that's why I initially even did it, just to see if it was something that, like, I was going to enjoy. Because, like, that's what I've been trying to figure out during this, you know, 100 Days of Code stuff, is just seeing, you know, what what can I actually do with code at this point? Mm-hmm. What do I feel like I'm, you know, I've actually advanced to at this point? And so, you know, when I talked to myself into doing the game jam, I'm like, okay, we'll just see how this goes. And I, you know, I really liked it. I enjoyed, uh, like I said, I felt like a lot of it was actually clicking for me. And so it was something where I really enjoyed trying to kind of, put everything together, trying to learn some of the new uh, things. In I'm using Gitto 4 for this particular project. I'm going to look <laughs> at maybe Unity. I don't know about I don't know about it on, on Linux. But, uh, you know, I'm going to look at a couple of engines and just see. But I think I'm probably going to stick in Gitto 4 for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, but yeah, it's just been it's just been cool to kind of look at it and dig into it and try to see if I can actually make something. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think that's the important part. Just play around with it and just like, you know, maybe it's something you just do as a one-off thing and maybe you never do it again. But I think it's, it's, it's good to experience new things. Like it is as fun as it is to just keep doing what you've always been doing, what you know, you like, maybe you realize there's something out there that you had no idea was going to grab your attention. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh, I now have a new hobby. Maybe I can do this as like another thing alongside what I do. 
Right. And I mean, you know, it's one of those things where who knows, maybe I'll get to the point where I actually can release this game that I have a game project in mind for next. But I just have to, uh, you know, I have to see if it's something where I really want to keep driving through and keep going with it. But mm -mm. I mean, it's just cool to kind of think about and actually think, yeah, I could probably do that this way. I could mm -hmm. probably do, you know, this. And then it's just cool to be able to have that thought process and actually be able to think about potential ways to make it happen. As you're going through this process, what was the... What was, like, one of the biggest challenges you had? For the game, Jim? Yeah, yeah. Besides, obviously, like, learning how the engine works, like, were there any things you wanted to implement that were a lot harder to do than you thought they were, or...? I feel like everything. <laughs> no, but um, but but in all seriousness, um, so just things like uh, like I said, that I had a checkpoint system where it basically decided you figured out where you were, mm -hmm. and then if you weren't on the ground, it wasn't going to update the checkpoint. But when you got to the moving platforms, those are constantly moving, so I couldn't just use a standard like you know global position at that point. So it was something where I would have liked to have figured out how to make it work on those where you'd reappear back on that platform, but just ran out of time. The other thing that I really found difficult at times was actually level design mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, not being as familiar with like necessarily how far a jump's going to go or anything like that with the the, the setup right. I had and with the time I had to do it that's where it was it was a bit tricky to kind of see that um and just kind of think about okay what would be cool to do in a level so i think uh you know i think in the future if i end up doing anything where i'm i need levels like that i'm probably going to try to draw them or something first mm -hmm. and just see something like that but yeah that was that was one tricky thing was just that and just you know kind of really thinking about what would be worth adding the things you know adding some of the things like yeah, jump buffering and uh, coyote time and things like that. Just some of the niceties that people like in platformers and uh, all that was just getting all that working wasn't too big of a deal. But yeah, just kind of when it came to some of the nuts and bolts of how to actually make it more fun, that's where it really gets starts to get tricky. Right. With your with your checkpoints, were you doing them like every so often, like every time, like certain amount of time they would um they would trigger or was it like a marker on the ground every every certain amount of time they would trigger i, I think, think i had a go ahead uh, what i was gonna say is i think if you did a marker that would actually make it a lot easier because then you could you could say the check so, so instead of referencing a position in the world you can reference mm -hmm. where you can reference the checkpoint itself and then as you need to go back to the checkpoint you can use the current location of the checkpoint as the as the reference point to teleport to. So if you do have the checkpoint moving, then you should be able to update it as it has the platform going back and forth. Very possible. And, um, you know, if I end up doing a game like that in the future, that's probably the approach I'll try. But I was just, you know, I was just something like, I that was honestly just a feature that I was just like, you know, it'd be cool if we could have a checkpoint. So, right. you know, if the person's on the ground for longer than like, I don't know, a second or whatever it was, then we'll mark that down as their checkpoint. And, uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, Godot has a has a system in place where you can basically have something run every frame, and so that's what I essentially tied it to. And if mm -hmm. it's like, okay, if this timer's done and they're uh, they're on the ground, that's a checkpoint. <laughs> I think the other way you could do it is you could check if there's ground below the player, and if then mm -hmm. if there isn't, move them to the nearest ground. That's the other way yeah. you could approach it. Um, that might be another way to try it too. Yeah, maybe you'd want to move them back.
backwards so you don't end up using the checkpoint to skip jumps. But mm -hmm. I don't know. There, there's certainly ways it could be done. Yeah, I also could have just not, probably just not, just um, not, not, no, just not, not done it on a moving platform. Right, right, fair I enough. I probably okay. just could have said if, you know, the collision laser moving platform, just not do it there. Sure, yeah, I probably that also makes done that. Yeah. But yeah, uh, but yes, obviously now, like, I feel like I've learned even so much since then, just because I've been able to go back and really try to focus more on learning and just mm -hmm. kind of expanding that knowledge. But yeah, I mean, it was... Like, uh, I just remember that Saturday morning, I, I had signed up. It started on Friday night, uh, US time. And so mm -hmm. I signed up. And then, like, that Saturday morning, I just sat and just kind of stared at my computer. I'm like, what should I really try to do? Did you uh, have an I, idea I think, before you went into it? Uh, no. And that's so I tried to think up one that night. And I'm like, okay, so maybe like an action platformery game where, you know, you're taking out robots because my, my story, story, quote unquote, idea was that, uh, AI had tried to delete the Linux source code. I mean, it's a Linux game jam, right? So uh, something silly like that. But ultimately, then I'm just like, after lunch that day, I'm just like, you know what? Uh, I probably just need to strip this down and just go just basic platformer, mm -hmm. just see what I can do, try to learn as much as I can this weekend. It was a holiday weekend, luckily for me. So I was able to spend a lot of that time just kind of focused on learning as much as I could and then mm -hmm. kind of started it back, uh, really pushing on it on Monday. So... Yeah, it was, uh, but it was a fun experience. Mm -hmm. um, I definitely recommend if you're going to do a game jam to look for one that maybe doesn't just last 48 hours. That sounds like that would be a real challenge. 48 hour ones are interesting, but then you end up having, you know, you have people that do, you know, 30 hour days. <laughs> Some people yes. will just go the entire game jam and not sleep, or they'll have like an hour nap somewhere in between. Yes, yes. And uh, yeah, I, I don't really want to do that at this point. I am I am one of those people, like, I have a general kind of schedule that I stick to, mm -hmm. regardless of the day of the week, even yeah. on the weekends. Like, I'm probably going to be up tomorrow by 4.45 or 5, 5.30, something like that. And people are like, on the weekend? And I'm like, yeah, that's the only way you can make this work. Like, that's the only way you can make that happen. Mm -hmm. if, you do, if you don't get up on the weekend, you're probably not making that happen in the week. No, uh, I... I don't get up at 4.45, but I do have a schedule. I'm up at like 8 o'clock every day because I, I work nights as well. So I'm, I'm getting home around 11 o'clock. I go to bed around midnight. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not getting up at 4.45. I'm doing that. God, no. Uh, but yeah, I think a schedule is really good. A schedule, a schedule is a good thing to have because it just, it keeps you, like, I know people that have like, and I did this as a teenager. Where it's like, you know... Oh, I did this in college. For yeah. <laughs> I, go to, I, I go to bed at 3 a.m., then I go to bed at 6 a.m., then I go to bed at 1 a.m., then I go to bed at 10 p.m., then it's like, you just never end up, like, having anything consistent. And when you're young, you can do that. But the, Absolutely. The second I hit, like, 21, 22, I'm like, no, this is too, <laughs> this is too much. <laughs> I can't do this anymore. I'm 25 now. I'm too old for this. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Yes. Uh, and that's, uh, but yeah, so I, but I, I generally just stick to the schedule, but I get up so early because I like to try to work on stuff before work because okay. I, you know, I'm generally trying to learn about something about programming or maybe I'm working on YouTube, something. Um, I've recorded videos during that time at some points. Um, I, there was one video that I just had a, a title at the bottom. Yes. I'm, I'm recording this at like 6am. <laughs> um, 
so yeah i mean like i i do tend to get a decent amount done in that time before work and i find it really mm -hmm. useful to start the day that way just to kind of really put some of that morning energy in there mm -hmm. because i feel like sometimes by the time you're done with the day like you know it's at least for my job when i'm kind of working in that same space that i'd be working on for youtube or mm -hmm. programming or anything it's it's just a different different thing at the end of the day sometimes yeah if i'm gonna get up early well well i usually like to start my day with a workout so i like get on the bike do things like that um i i i usually don't start working before like 9 30 ish this is you know this is youtuber life i if like if i didn't if I didn't work the job I do, I my sleep schedule would be even worse. I'd be like, you know, 3 a.m. every day, get up at midday, but I'd still be getting my like eight hours. Like I'm still, I'm gonna get my eight yeah. hours no matter what happens. They may shift to some ridiculous time, but it is going to be a <laughs> schedule there. Yep, and oh um, uh, yeah, but that's the other thing I've been thinking about doing more in the morning is a workout. But mm. it just it ends up working out better for me right after work. That's so, fair. That's when I tend to knock it out. But yeah. No, I get, I get this. Well, I know people that like, you know, they're going to the gym at midnight because, you know, and now that most gyms are 24 hour gyms, you can just, mm -hmm. you know, if you want to go at three in the morning and some people like that because, you know, there's basically no one there. You just have, you have the one dude who hasn't left the gym since 10 a.m. that day. And then there's you. That's pretty much it. <laughs> I mean, you know, and sometimes that's all you really need, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, I just tend to work out here. I have my own equipment, some, ah, yeah, some yeah. equipment anyway. So I just tend to do that. But, um, but I do, uh, I do jujitsu and Muay Thai. Mm -hmm. So that is the other thing I need to get back to. I haven't been as much lately just because I have been so busy and it's one of those opportunity cost things. Have you always been doing that? Do you get into that as an adult? I, or? Yeah, I got that into that as an adult. I wish I, I wish I had been doing that. Uh, jujitsu is a lot of fun. Muay Thai, it's. It's fun. It's not as like it's not my primary thing. I mm -hmm. tend to prefer the jujitsu piece, but yeah, I mean, it's just it's just something different that I ended up I was interested in for years, mm -hmm. and finally, like I'm like around the middle of 2020, I started intermittent fasting. I lost like a lot of weight. I've gained some of it back since, but you know, I just stopped getting in my own way. Essentially, mm -hmm. I was I stopped a lot of self limiting beliefs. Right. And like, so that's where I just said, okay, fine. We're just gonna, you know, we're gonna try this jujitsu thing. I'm probably gonna suck at it. And I mean, I still kind of suck at it, but ultimately like, that's not the point. The point is like, I'm having, you know, I'm having fun with it. Like that's the other night when I posted the uh, pixel art that I had done on Twitter. Like that was literally the first thing I'd done in pixel art, but like, I just don't care anymore. Mm -hmm. That's that's why I, one reason I started appearing on camera is because I was like, okay, to make this actually work, like I think I actually do have to start appearing on camera. I have to let a little bit more of my personality out because I mean, people can find, you know, some of my earlier videos essentially in a text, you know, text uh, article. Mm -hmm. I'm like, so I have to figure something out. And so finally, I just, just said, screw it. I'm just gonna start, you know, doing whatever. Mm. No, I think it's a good a good mentality to have. Um, I I did taekwondo as a kid. I got. I, I didn't get too far. I was like a yellow belt or something. I do wish I'd kept it up. And I would definitely like to get back into a martial art like jujitsu at some point as well. It's just a matter of time. It's just finding yes. finding the time to actually do it. And I'm sure I could find the time if I really wanted to. Like, that's the thing. But I don't know. There's so many things I want to do. Like, I want to I start, like, I want to, like, learn archery as well at some point and... 
Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's just a matter of actually finding time alongside the other things. Like, do I drop this hobby? Do I cut time out of yes. the hobby? I can't get rid of the things I need to do. So, I don't know. <laughs> it's just on the yes, back burner and- for now. Yes, and that's exactly what I'm kind of facing right now. Because it's like, okay, I want to I wanna do the YouTube stuff. I want to do the, the programming stuff. I want to do the jiu-jitsu stuff. And it's like, I can go to jiu-jitsu and Muay Thai, but that's like three hours. And I could do so many other things in that three hours. Yeah. So it's just a, you know, it's just a thing where I have to kind of find that balance. And I'm sure in the next, I'm planning to actually start going back here in the next few weeks and, mm-hmm. and really get back into it. But it's uh, it's yeah, it's just a different experience. The the funny thing about jujitsu guys, at least to some extent, is a lot of them are nerds mm-hmm. because it's a very technical martial art. So you're having to often think about, okay, so you know if this person does this, I'm going to try to do this, and you know just kind of start reacting and stuff. But yeah, I mean, there it, it was really kind of crazy how many people there were either like in IT or, um, you know, uh, some of them were EMTs, just all kinds of different people. And a lot of them were nerds. I mean, uh, you know, I, I remember uh, various conversations about various anime. Mm-hmm. Uh, Attack on Titan was one a, a common one at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it definitely does sound like a, a good experience for sure. Um... And I've got I've got some friends who got into it a while back as well, and like you know I, the the friends I had were in my software engineering degree who got into it. So like you know it goes back into what you're saying. Like a lot of a yes. lot of nerdy people get into it. Um, I guess I guess the difference with that and then something like not to say that like you know boxing or other striking heavy martial arts are like just for like you know just for brutes or whatever, but. I think there's like that. Diff- there's definitely that different perception for sure. Like you think of someone who is a boxer, you think of someone who's like you know big wall of muscle. Like they're gonna just knock you out in one mm-hmm. hit. Um, but yeah, with that with that more technical approach, I can see how that would how that would be like that. Well, and the other interesting thing to me about jujitsu is mm. like we so in the in the the gym you're you're rolling you're not sparring you're rolling against another person and uh you know some people you can go and have a very kind of flow roll with you're not really trying to be explosive athletically like that's just not what either one of you are trying to do you're trying to focus specifically on technique or something like that and then you'll have somebody else where you know that's what they want to do they want to go fast they want to kill you you know especially the teenagers the teenagers Mm -hmm. they just want to go as fast as they can yeah and um and sometimes you know they'll get to you and sometimes they won't but the uh but yeah that's that's the interesting thing to me is just how technical it can get and how like how just nerdy it can get at the same time and uh the other thing that i would say too is with striking you know at least for you know at least for the nerds, they have to often rely on their brain. So mm-hmm. there's only so many times they can get punched in the face and before they're going to have permanent damage, you know, or something like that. Yeah, and I, I would not want to get into a... I, I like taekwondo when I was young, but I, you don't want to be... You don't want to be in a sport where you need to get kicked in the head. That's that's not good for you. Yes, for sure. And uh, But yeah, that is something where, you know, you have to limit just things like that. You have to limit your... Uh, you have to limit contact. You can't always spar like mm-hmm. every day. But in jiu-jitsu, as long as you're willing to tap early and you're not going to do something stupid to, 
you as know, long as you're not working with someone who's for each other. Also, the person you're working with isn't stupid and is going to go too hard when you tap. Uh, well, I mean, that's part. So part of that is about the coach knowing a little bit more about the students and mm -hmm. all that, and uh, making sure, like, making sure that you don't have two total newbies yeah. trying to fight. Yeah. Uh, you 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 think or roll. You think that that would be a good idea, but then like. <laughs> Some people just really are spaz like the spazzy white belt is a very common jujitsu meme, and I mean for good reason. Like there are just times where like they'll just be they'll just be throwing an elbow or something like that. And mm -hmm. like I am uh, I am basically a four stripe. I think I'm a four stripe white belt. So ultimately, like I'm right at the end of white belt to the point where I'd be a getting a blue belt. And mm -hmm. like there are times where it's very obvious when somebody has had past experience wrestling or something like that. Like right. I mean night and day compared to some of the other people but uh but yeah i mean you you do have to watch out if you're if you're rolling against somebody newer because you don't really know what they're gonna do mm -hmm. <laughs> it sounds like you're kind of like me in this in this way where it's i don't understand how people get bored like there are too many things that you want to do yes like i when someone says oh i'm bored i don't know what to do like what do you mean? There's all, something. There's all these things you can do. Like, go, go, go find something. Like, I don't know. Go out, go rock climb. I don't know. Find something. How are you bored? Like, how do you not have anything to do in your life that you are bored? Like, I get, I, I get, you know, not having anything crucial that needs to be done. But like, mm -hmm. how are you bored? Find something. Yeah. And that's, you know, and for a while there, like, I was I was getting bored. And that's one reason I really started pushing, like, to just find more things yeah. to do. And so, you know, now I have too many things to do. <laughs> well, there are certainly, like, you know, there are, there are boring things you can do. Like, you know, I'm sure some of the parts of your job you're not super excited about. Mm -hmm. But, like, that... that that's different from just sitting around just doing nothing. Like, that's something you need to do because it's like it's just that it it's part of your like daily routine. But and you know maybe like you know say you meditate for example like maybe th you find that boring but you know it's going to be good for you. Like there are boring things you can do, but being bored mm -hmm. I think is a completely different thing. Absolutely, yeah, mm. yeah. And there's I mean yeah, like you said I I just don't. I can't understand those people because there are there are so many hobbies out there to choose from or, you know, so many things to learn, so many things to... I, I just can't find the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I came out of uh, out, out of high school, like, I I sat around for a year doing nothing. I said this was going to be my... This was going to be my gap year. I'm going to, like, you know, do things. I didn't do anything. I just, I just played video games for a year. And as much as I enjoy video games and I enjoy anime, you know... Three months, six months in of doing nothing yeah. but that, you're like, you know, maybe there are, maybe, maybe I need to do something. Maybe, there. yeah, <laughs> for sure. Maybe. I don't know. I still think you're not. I don't know. I don't. I don't think you're being treated. I don't think there are any other things ready. <laughs> well, the problem is when you're playing the same game. Like you know, I yeah. I used to be a big RuneScape player, and oh goodness, yeah. You know, I ha when you when you just sit there ten hours clicking on trees. Like, I don't know why I did that. I I played for like five years in high school. The problem is when you're in school, you just have you have so much time to do nothing, and mm -hmm. now that you have no time but you have money, you're like, 
I really wish I actually did things that I wanted to do now back then. I know. I know. And it's the same it's the same way for me. Like it's just like, okay, now I have now I have this and I'm like, okay, how can I start adjusting my schedule to work this into it? Mm-hmm. Man, I wish I would have gotten into this, you know, 10, 15 years ago. That mm-hmm. would have been amazing. Yep, yep. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I w- like I because I've done like I've done podcasts before I've done YouTube before like I wish I had the kind of dedication to it that I do now I don't have a ton but like I do end up getting to the point where I've got something going out every week I'm trying to think of ideas like I wish I would have started focusing on it back then because I mean like I probably would have some crazy channel at this point but you know I didn't and it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's not a bit to me. It's like that's not the end of the world, but it's something where it's like I wish I had the focus that I have now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely things that I can still work on when it comes to my focus, but I think I've gotten a lot better. Like as I've, I think what's really helped me with that is doing the YouTube and actually like setting my own schedule. Like I know that if I don't. If I don't structure my day in a way where I get these tasks done, it's just not going to happen. Like when I was in uni, mm-hmm. I, you know, it was just, I just did assignments whenever. I, I stayed up at night. I did an assignment then. I left an assignment for three weeks, didn't touch it. But now that I actually have my own deadlines where I know this is when it needs to be done and I've set it myself, early on that was really difficult to do. But... Mm-hmm. Over the years, it's gotten a lot easier, and now it's just it's just part of the routine. Yeah, and so now I have, like, every other Friday off that I honestly generally dedicate to YouTube in some shape, form, or fashion. It may mm-hmm. be talking with another creator. It may be, you know, whatever. But ultimately, like, I know that I have that time, and, like, I'm actually right now working on trying to get ahead because... Mm-hmm. For a while there, like I was just recording a video every week and up and editing it and uploading it every week. And yep. like right now, I'm really trying to focus on getting a bit ahead, just so that I don't always feel like, okay, well, I need to I need to record tonight because yep. then I need to edit tomorrow. Because yeah, that so I'm trying to get a little bit ahead of that. Yeah, that's why I have a backlog now. Like I, the podcast backlog's too big. It makes talking about topical things really bad. Um, yes, but the main channel, I've had a backlog for a while there. Like a, I have like a week backlog. If I if I just stop recording for a week, I can just upload six videos and it doesn't matter. Um, it's a nice feeling for sure. But I I don't know. I don't hate. The, I know some people talk about burnout and things like that. I don't hate the treadmill. There have been points where I felt burnt out, but I feel like the burnout in those cases was more about other things happening in my life alongside doing YouTube, Mm -hmm. alongside the things I enjoy, as opposed to doing the YouTube itself. Like, you know, I was living with people that I really didn't like. I had issues with, like, friends. I had issues with family, things like that. Like, that's the stuff that actually made me feel burnout, not the thing that I enjoyed itself. Right. And, and yeah, and I get that. Like, that's and that's the thing I think that some people find it maybe weird when I'm like, well, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, probably YouTube and probably game development. And they're mm-hmm. like, okay. And for me, like, I don't really consider it all that much work. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's going to take time for sure. And yeah. I mean, I don't really like editing, but it, it gets done. And I mean, you know, it's something where ultimately, like, I have gotten further into kind of 
trying to really tweak those ideas and really turn them into something that people want to watch something that people are going to find interesting, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. And it's nice to be able to get the workflow to a point where I can, you know, because that Red, uh, the Red Hat video that I've, I recorded last week, I literally recorded it that Saturday and edited it that Saturday evening and posted it Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. um, I had recorded two other videos the day before, and I was intending on posting one of those. But I'm like, well, this is all still going. So I mean, I may as well just talk about it. Yeah. And but it was just nice to be able to just, you know, set up what I needed for an outline for a script and just power through it and mm -hmm. get it done. And it's just cool to be able to do that. And I feel the same way with like game development stuff right now. Like, I don't really find it to be work. I feel like they're even though it's similar ish to what I may do in my day job, I feel mm -hmm. like it's different enough that it's, you know, it's just a different focus. Mm. Well, on that note, I think that's as good a place as any to end off the show. We've just passed the uh, two hour mark. And okay. surprisingly, your our power's not gone out again. Yes. I, and it hasn't been thundering as much now. So I, I hope we're in the clear for a mm. little bit. How's it look? Let's see how it is out here. It is very sunny out there. Okay. <laughs> Go out there afterwards. I've got to do some shopping. Uh, it was it went this morning it was like real cloudy and rainy and I I didn't expect that was that was too bright. Um anyway, let the people know where they can find you and all your stuff. Yeah, so of course on YouTube here, uh Vashinator there, and then uh vashhaslinks.com. I have all of my links on that website. Mm -hmm. So I have my main site and the shop and all that good stuff. And uh Twitter, of course, uh, Vashinator7. And I'm generally talking about 100 days of code stuff and coding stuff there. I tend to also post some Linux stuff occasionally. But yeah, the YouTube is Linux open source. Mostly, I think I may talk a little bit of game development as I get further into it. But yeah. Awesome. Um, as for me, the main channel is Brody Robertson. I do Linux videos there six-ish days a week. Uh, by the time this comes out, I don't know what will be out. Hopefully the Red Hat drama is over. I'm really sick of talking about it, but it probably won't be. Uh, I don't know what's coming out because this is like three weeks away. Maybe I'll upload my video about uh, why Linux defeated Unix. Yeah, maybe I'll upload that one. I don't know. I'll work it out. And if you want to see me do gaming stuff, that is the gaming channel, Brody on Games. Right now, I am playing through Final Fantasy 16. It is very, very good. I highly recommend it. Square Enix, please release the game of things that are not a PS5 so other people can actually play the game. Thank you. Uh, yeah. And also probably playing through Black Mesa. I've never played it before, so that's going to be oh, wow. an interesting experience. Yeah, someone bought the game for me. They're like, play Black Mesa. Like, sure, <laughs> at some point. Here's the game. Like, okay. If you're going to buy me the game, I guess I have to play it. Um... And if you're listening to the audio version of this, it is the video version is on YouTube at Tech Over T. If you are watching the video version, you can find the audio version on any podcast platform. There is an RSS feed. Stick it in your favorite app. I like AntennaPod. It's pretty good. Uh, I'll give you the final word. What do you want to say? Yeah. Uh, so just, you know, enjoy Linux. Because to me, that's what Linux is all about. It's figuring out what you enjoy and, you know, just go with it. Awesome. I like the sound of that. So, I'm out.